you know, and so you kind of come away feeling like you're a bit of a cheapskate, even though you're actually just donating. You're like, yeah. you're actually giving your own money. And, um, but you're still kind of coming away with a sort of unsatisfied feeling. So. Welcome to the Future Tribe podcast, where we're all about taking your future to the next level. Whether it is interviewing guests or unpacking strategies, you know we will be talking about getting things done and backing you, a fellow optimistic go-getter. And now, as always, here is your host, the formidable, fortunate and highly favoured, Jermaine Muller. Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. And on this episode, we've got Eric Darms from WP Charitable. How are you, Eric? I'm good. Thanks, Jermaine. Tell us a bit about WP Charitable and what you do. Yeah, so WP Charitable, uh, well, Charitable is a donation plugin. Uh, for WordPress, and it helps nonprofits and organizations or even uh, individuals accept donations on their website. Um, they can do that um, themselves. They can just install the plugin and start collecting donations. And so on wpcharitable.com, we offer support and sort of maintenance. And we also sell a series of add-ons that people can can purchase to add additional features. So the core plugin is free, Charitable itself is free, and then we have additional plugins that do extra things that, depending on where you are in the world or what your needs are as an organization, you may, you may need those. Yeah, yeah. So what, what led you to begin the, the business and how many, how many of you does it take to sort of run the plugin? Mm. So I, it's going back a while, so, so my, my business partner and I, Wes is down in, he's in, he's in Bendigo. I'm up here in Darwin. Mm-hmm. And we started developing a few products for the Envato marketplaces. So like Theme Forest and Code Canyon were the two main ones that, that we focused on. And one of our, well, our most successful one that we had on there ever was a WordPress theme, which was a, a crowdfunding theme. And it was built around a plug-in providing crowdfunding features basically, which was actually used quite heavily by nonprofits as well, because, you know, it's a similar kind of concept essentially. And it it basically provided that basic donation facility. And that, that did, that did well. That was our most successful product on there, but the plugin that we built it around eventually was sold off to a different company than it originally created it. And that company actually had competing product which they obviously prioritized and this other one that we based our whole theme around got based sort of cast aside and retired so we we maintained support for that for for quite a while but that was kind of the point at which we we saw the need for a good donation kind of tool for wordpress particularly when we sort of really started looking which was around mid 2014 there there really wasn't that many good options like there was a lot of options of how to take donations with paypal but then if you were wanting to use any other payment gateway or if you're in a part of the world where you actually can't take paypal which mm-hmm. which you know not not that many places in the world but there's some pretty significant regions of the world where that is the case you you know that there wasn't actually that many options and plus the in terms of what it was available sort of outside of the WordPress world and in sort of more like hosted platforms for nonprofits, there was, 
like a lot of platforms basically, which offered a whole lot of additional features and, and stuff that you really just couldn't do with WordPress, mm-hmm. not that easily. And so that was, that was our focus from the, the start is to kind of actually create something that, that kind of provided a bit of an alternative there with a very different cost structure, both for us and for the nonprofit, which actually makes it much cheaper for them in the long run. Once, um, once annualized, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even take that long. It really, it comes down to how many donations you accept. You know, if you, if you, maybe if you get, if you're collecting less than, you know, a thousand dollars of donations or two thousand dollars of donations a year, then maybe a hosted platform's good. But once you, once you start getting much more than that, and if you're on a platform which, like most of them, charges you on each donation, like a small transaction fee, then, then that really quickly adds up. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. put us on. I'll put us on a timeline. You mentioned 2014, but when did mm-hmm. you originally develop the the theme, or, or were you always sort of developing for Code Canyon and Theme Forest? And for listeners who are not 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 aware of Theme Forest and Code Canyon, Code Canyon's basically a place where you can buy plugins, um, and mm-hmm. Theme Forest is a place for templates for WordPress. So you guys are very heavily invested in WordPress. I am mm-hmm. a huge fan. At at Future Theory, we use WordPress 99% of the time, unless someone has a specific request for, for a platform, but yeah, put us on, on, on a timeline. So when, when was the crowdfunding theme first developed by, by you guys? That's a good question. Probably about, probably about 20, 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. And we, and we, so we'd had a few other products before that. I think we probably launched our first one, maybe around sort of early 2010. Um, okay. And how did you and find this, yourself like at that point of launching products? Were you always like out of school, always into sort of the development side of things or? I know. In fact, out of at uni, I studied history and Spanish. And mm-hmm. then my brothers ran a travel website, a travel community. And I, I, I started working for them as sort of like a community manager or whatever. And through doing that, then I, I sort of, I, I set up a couple of blogs and discovered that I was actually really interested in writing code. So I was teaching myself and, and, but they didn't really need somebody else that was at my level as a, as a developer, I suppose. So, and, and so then I, I, I sort of slowly worked my way into working freelance. Um, as a developer. I, as, you know, yeah. As a developer. So I would How take on. at this point? Uh, so this is probably uh, mid twenties. Mm-hmm. How old 20, are you now? If you twenty five, twenty six. I, th- I don't think I asked you. Uh, that. Maybe I am now thirty five. Okay, so um, about ten years ago. Yeah, so this was about ten years ago. Now I must have been before. I must have been younger than that. Actually, it must have been like, more like twenty four. So basically, I, I started. I started freelancing as a developer. Took on whatever I could find, and and just really worked hard on on taking in initially fairly small projects just to really build my knowledge and what I could do. And I, I did really enjoy the sort of the freedom of freelancing, but didn't really enjoy having a whole lot of deadlines from a whole lot of different clients. Mm-hmm. So that was something that then as I, you know, experienced that and the idea of building products was really appealing as, as a way of hey, having passive income, but, but in the long run of actually having something where, you know, I could kind of set the, set the goals, set, set the direction of, of what I'm building rather than having that always in the client's hands. 
And so, so that was for me, how, how we kind of got into that. My business partner now was, he, he's a designer. He was working for a printing company in, in Melbourne and I would be the developer on some of their, their sort of design projects. So they run a, a sort of a web design work as well. And I would be the, I would be the developer. So I'd come in as a, as a freelancer for him. And so we collaborated on quite a few projects that way. And, and our first product, which was probably around the 2009 period was just a really simple plugin, which we built, which was a client needed. Mm-hmm. There was a little e-commerce shipping plugin and we ended up doing the same thing for two other e-commerce platforms, um, or e-commerce plugins with WordPress. And then we sort of built from there. And then, I don't know, the, the crowdfunding theme was probably about the fifth or sixth product that we launched. Right. Um, and really the, the first one that, that generated enough sales to really feel like, you know, it was worth the effort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you, you'd invested, obviously, by that point, you'd pretty heavily invested into WordPress. Now, mm. I would say today WordPress is... I would say almost a no-brainer if you're developing, like if you're, if you're serious about your website and your marketing, I think WordPress, just the fact that it's open source and gives you so much control and freedom and that there's just so much expertise out there when it comes to WordPress as well. It's, it's just, I would say a no-brainer. What, what, what do you think? Do you, do you sort of agree, agree with that or do you see any other platforms that um, make as much sense as WordPress? I mean, ultimately it kind of comes down to to what your needs are, you know, it's always going to depend on what your needs are and also who you kind of have around. So if you, if you really can't be bothered doing anything to sort of maintain your website at all, and you don't have anybody on your team that, that can do that. Like if you're a one man show and you really don't want to be bothered, then maybe something that's hosted where you actually really don't have to worry about that makes, makes sense. And if you've got, you know, the budget and you're not, super you know low on funds then mm-hmm. then obviously because obviously those things work out much more expensive but in terms of in terms of flexibility for what you can build wordpress does really provide quite a lot and I, you know i mean our, our day-to-day is really thinking about the nonprofit space and for nonprofits, it it, it to me it makes a lot of sense um, because as well you, you know you have donation plugins like ours but you also have you can add on to that. You can add e-commerce or you can add event stuff. And there's, there's a ton of options there. And there's, there's a lot of businesses that have been built up around, around WordPress and that actually will really stand by their product and really work hard to kind of make sure it does what you need it to do. And, and there's, yeah. So I guess, I guess you get that, that flexibility of a, of a lot of different options and a lot of, and just a lot of power and a lot of a lot of features that I, I don't think you could really find it anywhere else. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess all this is to ask you what made you invest into WordPress. I mean, yes, you're not mm. investing directly into WordPress, but by building for WordPress, you're you have to make some sort of bet that it's going to be around because you wouldn't mm. want to put all your eggs into that basket and then five years down the line it gets superseded. I mean, by the time I was just Googling it, by the time you sort of got into really into the WordPress space, WordPress was six, seven years old. Mm. So old enough, but you know, that was still, I would say, you know, 2010s when websites are really, websites are starting to become, you know, 
one of those things that everyone has to have and we're mm. really sort of starting to take take websites to the next level what made you invest into wordpress yeah so i mean initially we did i did actually do quite a bit of work outside wordpress as well and i did also build some products for other platforms and there's just i mean from a from a product sales point of view those just never really worked mm-hmm. so they and i guess maybe we weren't deep enough into that that platform in the first place but wordpress as kind of coming from a freelance background where where wordpress was generally the way to go and often the you know the easiest way to do things and or the most natural way to set things up and hand it over to a client that that just made sense and so then and even then at that point wordpress was already a predominant player you know i don't think there was i think drupal was kind of the next biggest thing but and it was pretty far off really yeah so it, it was, I don't know how much of a conscientious choice there was there or, or whether it, we just sort of fell into it almost fell into it. Yeah. So, but we, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we did. <laughs> and um, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And I mean, I guess to an extent as well, it's just where we saw, well, certainly where, where I felt most comfortable working in terms of how things worked and how things were built and, and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you touched on also as an extension of sort of your comfort, the the money side of things, you know, it, it can get a bit old sometimes, especially when you, so you start your own business usually because you don't want to have a boss telling you what to do. And then it sort of happens to be that your clients to an extent start telling you what to do instead of your boss. Mm. And then that gets a little bit old or it, get, it can get tiring depending on your, your personality. And by coming up with sort of a product, it changes things a little bit because it's not so timeline driven, not so deadline driven um, and not so sort of project deliver, go to the next one. How, how, how's that worked out for you? Because back in 2014, I mean, SaaS or software as a service now is, is everything it's it's sort of everyone's saying invest into SaaS. if you don't have a SaaS product get a SaaS product i assume you know it was still sort of it was getting traction it's not that there wasn't SaaS solutions back then but it's obviously much bigger now how how did you make that leap into what is essentially a software as a service and you just happen to deliver a plugin that you know conducts a conducts a service how did you jump into that we first so with with charitable was really the first time where we where we decided to get off the platforms so off of envato and off of so off of theme forest and off of code canyon and 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 do things our own way and when you i mean we're a bootstrap business so when you most of the time when you hear advice for bootstrap businesses it's you know like build up your freelance work to a certain extent and and that which which we had but we probably we basically did things on a very slim budget and lived on a very slim budget. So certainly for the first six months of after Chatable was launched, sales were, you know, super slow and, and it was pretty, it was challenging, you know, like you, you'd kind of go through, through your, your, your dark days of thinking, what on earth am I doing? You know, like, <laughs> Should I have even done this? Should we just pull the plug now or just, yeah, you know, will, will it get yeah. better? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, I remember we. So we, I, I think we launched Charitable, and then like the next month, my family and I we went to a we went to Bali for for a couple of weeks, and I was just I was sitting there watching, you know, checking for sales and everything, and and at that point we were making like maybe you know one or two sales every every couple of days you know mm-hmm. and it was like we're talking you know maybe two or three hundred dollars a week and we've got two families kind of <laughs> we're trying to feed with this yeah so anyway so that was like that was a scary time and, and it wasn't wasn't that that easy and and certainly it it took a long time to kind of get to a point where it feels like income's relatively comfortable but yeah I mean I, I've never kind of pictured what we do as a as a SaaS business per se because i guess SaaS is generally associated with being a like a monthly thing yeah. as well and you have kind of that that stable recurring revenue um, which we do have to an extent in the sense that we've got like we've got an annual renewal but there's it's tend to get probably a bit more churn i suppose than you get with with a SaaS. yeah and so so but it's not that sort of dependable level of what you, you can expect that if you got this much this month you know, the next month you can expect to get something similar mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. a bit more because presumably you'll, you'll attract some, some new growth. Clients. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sort of um, stability in, in a minute. But before that, how did you start getting your initial clients? So you were saying one or two sales a week. Now that's mm-hmm. not too bad considering was, was that fairly high touch or, I mean, if you're sitting in Bali um, getting sales coming through, I assume, um, people just went onto a website and purchased that for themselves. Is that, is that correct? Is that, is that first assumption correct? Yeah. So, so the, the thing it was at that point as well, that we didn't actually have that many paid add-ons so that there wasn't actually that much for people to buy. And what was there was probably not that appealing. Like there's still, even today, I, I look back and I'm like, why did we launch with that? You know, <laughs> you know like they're, they're kind of the weakest selling products that we've got. <laughs> and so, so what people are buying is actually really cheap as well. And so it actually would take quite a lot of sales of, of those particular at that price point to, to actually make it make it worthwhile. But in terms of how we got clients, that was so we launched Charitable is available as a um, free download on WordPress.org, which is the, the sort of the central repository where most WordPress plugins are kept, or certainly most any free WordPress plugin is generally kept there. Uh, and that's kind of the first place that people will look for a plugin as well. So they'll just find it. You know, if if you type in donation plugin, then then will be one of the one of the options that'll come up. And so it it really comes out of that. So it's basically a freemium kind of model, mm-hmm. uh, and and that really has driven our sales for the whole time. Um, okay, we, so you you don't really focus on, or you haven't focused on other channels over the years. So have you experimented with any other sort of lead acquisition channels? Or, I mean, to an extent, it it really just makes sense, right? It's it's available for free. You download it when you outgrow the free features. Well, either you pay up or look for something that's that's free that does what you want it to do. Mm. Chances are there isn't anything that's free. And then you look for the best option. Mm. That's how we found you. We were looking for a solution for a client and there are a lot of solutions out there, but they're all surprisingly expensive for the features. And they Mm. often tie in, tie you into things that like either monthly or annual, just insane um, amounts annually. So I guess it Mm. just makes sense that there's a natural channel, but have you experimented with, with other 
sort of acquisition channels? Yes, we, we've done a lot of experimenting. The, the one thing I will say is that neither I nor Wes are consider ourselves marketers or I think have much of a natural sort of bent that way. Mm. So, so our, our sense of experimentation is we might like throw an ad up and then we're like, yeah, that didn't work. No, that's a bummer. We'll try What's that on else. Facebook or Google ads or. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly I think Facebook, we've done it a bunch of times. And <laughs> so we, for the, for most of the time, we haven't really focused on marketing a whole lot and we haven't had sort of the, the availability of funds to be able to pay somebody to do that either. We did last year hire a marketing firm to, to sort of do a, a marketing audit for us and they recommended and made some made some good recommendations and we we sort of followed through on those and so we've we've put more emphasis on content marketing now basically mm-hmm. and and that's so that's our main other thing that we're doing at the moment which is and who does that is that sort of you have writers involved or do you write them write the articles yourself yeah we've got we've got a couple writers who are who are working on those for us yeah i mean i i I did enjoy writing the occasional blog post but i just found it took so much time and and, (laughs) yeah yeah. it's surprising it's surprising how much time it does take i think when you when you think about it logically you sort of think about it you know okay half an hour uh, half an hour to come up with an idea you know an hour to write something up uh, mm. half an hour to proofread and maybe make a few changes, but it, it's more realistic that you'll spend a whole day getting an article right than, than not. But it's interesting and it's wonderful to hear that you're using content marketing because inbound, I've been invested into inbound for a few years now mm. and we do, we're still working, we're working on sort of a new website and when we do, we'll have this avalanche of sort of new content, but is that working well for you, the content marketing? Yeah, I mean, there's it, it is, and I, I think it keeps things fairly fresh. It's, it's also hard to tell at the moment because, besides the content marketing, we also do a lot of sort of on-site optimization and and sort of restructured how we were presenting ourselves on on our on our website. Based, internally or with yes, yeah, we did we do we did all that internally, and we saw we saw sort of an immediate boost from that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so hats off to the marketing agency that, that gave us those tips. So, so we saw a big boost from that and then the pandemic hit and, and that's actually led to a big boost in sales as well, just because I think, and that's not just us. I think that's actually the case for a lot of WordPress businesses because suddenly there's a whole lot of people online, uh, you know, and people that have had projects in mind for a while that are suddenly you know have the time to build them yeah yeah i mean if you, if you live in a developed city i think it's safe to assume that your time to w- travel to work and park is probably an hour each way so right there every week you're getting a whole whole de- working day's worth of time back so mm-hmm. i think yeah a lot of people have found just that time from and you know i'm sure there are a lot of people who work from home rather than work from home. If you, if you get what yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've yeah. done the air quotes to sort of indicate <laughs> uh, the people who I know who go out for two hour lunches <laughs> yeah. while working yeah. from home. So you find time that way as well. Let's talk about the team. So is it just you and Wes and or is there sort of more full-time people involved in keeping, keeping this plugin sort of running and what, what level of work is there to keep the plugin running? So uh, full time, it is it is just me and Wes. We and then we have a number of contractors. So that's the we've got two writers, 
who, who work on that. One of whom she's based in the UK, the other one's based in the US. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've got a couple guys who are helping on the development side as well, um, sort of on a freelance or a project by project basis. And we have in as well, we have one developer who actually developed one of our, one of the extensions. And so she gets, uh, she gets paid as a, a commission um, basically on the sales of that, of that extension. And then on the sales of, of the bundle that includes, includes mm-hmm. her stuff. Mm-hmm. So she, so she kind of takes, you know, she, she's in charge of that one basically. Yeah. But in terms of the day to day that that's basically myself and Wes sort of taking care of that in terms of what's involved. It's, to just keep the ship running, it's it's really just answering emails, which is supporting. supporting really, yeah, pre yeah. pre sale and and support questions, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and so we can we can kind of knock through that, pretty comfortably between the two of us, and, and pretty comfortably in you know not too big a, a, an amount of time. So you know, like a couple of years ago, first of all, I went with my family for a six week trip, and then Wes went with his family for a you know something like a. a four six week trip as well and and basically we we got by just fine like for me while i was away it was maybe an hour a day coming on and and just answering emails and so i I will generally take on the sort of the more technical questions where's handles a lot of the pre-sale and the you know just more general questions about can it do this or can it you know do this and yeah things like that. as i guess you're the developer so it makes a lot more sense that you can get into the nitty-gritty if you have to yeah yeah and we do like to go pretty deep in terms of like really trying to actually solve the customer's problem if we if we can possibly including writing you know little snippets of code and actually giving people you know like it doesn't do this out of the box but here's you know 15 lines of code yeah yeah here's 15 lines of code that i just wrote and checked and it it should work so just install it using this and bang you've got you've got it working yeah and that's i mean that kind of comes back to why i think wordpress is such an appealing thing for people as well is that you do actually have that flexibility there obviously you got to kind of have the technical know how to actually build that but you know for for our customers we're, we're certainly happy to to be that to, to an extent and provide that level of support yeah i mean there are yeah. a lot of plugins out there paid ones as well that wouldn't even go as far as doing that they would say you know here's a list of uh people we trust uh who know how to work with our plugin go talk to them that's sort of separate because i guess they don't want to want to deal with the level of customizations or or, or they're yeah. probably thinking you know we we didn't want these deadlines that's why we created a plugin and now yeah we, you know yeah. we might fall into that trap again yeah, I mean, there there is an extent to that. I suppose that in general, in general, it, it's worked out okay. Sometimes, you know, it, it it is time consuming, definitely time consuming. But at the same time, we've we've built up this big, vast library of actual little workable code that we've sent to other customers. And generally, what somebody else wants is is going to be pretty similar, if not the same. Or if it's really similar, it might be just like you know, in like this particular line of code just swap this for this and you're done and that's fine and people can do that and and you know i i think that that's that's been a fairly core part of 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 our value as a as a business and as as how we like to serve customers in terms of just really trying to go above and beyond yeah which is definitely appreciated i think people people really appreciate when when they can just come to you and sort of come up with a solution rather than being sent to x y and z especially if 
all they're looking for is a slight tweak, not really, you know, added complete mm. functionality. And, you know, like I said, we, we uh, stumbled across you guys because we were looking for a solution. And then we just found that, you know, your support was just fantastic. And to be honest, even if it cost a bit more, it's always better to work with a plugin or a company that is going to go that extra mile versus a mm. company who are just too rigid and, and, and robust for that sort of thing. Now, before we get into the, the finance sort of side of things or the financial side of things, how do you come up with now having a product is fantastic, but mm-hmm. staying stagnant isn't, isn't going to do you any favors. How do you come up with feature additions and just fundamental sort of code base sort of changes and upgrades and, how do you do that and how do you look at that as a as a plug-in company yeah the the one thing i will say is that as a as a with only two of us working full-time and myself the the sort of the main developer there's a limit i guess to how much we can um experiment and and go you know go down new new alleys so to an extent we're, we're kind of in terms of how we prioritize things it really comes down to what our customers need and, and so if we can if we can solve those problems for customers then that's that's the, that's the number one thing we'll look at if we get multiple requests for the same kind of feature then that's obviously a priority for us as well so it's a lot of it's kind of customer driven and, and sort of customer feedback driven then as well with the way you know, like a couple of years ago, uh, GDPR rules came in in the in Europe, and and that meant basically like a couple of months where our focus was really on trying to create some, you know, good tools for GDPR compatibility and, and really working on that. And then I think a couple of months later, the the Europe brought in the strong customer authentication rules. Actually, no, that was last year. And so that you know that was then another you know month or two where we were working on 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 updating our payment processing to make sure that 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 we were sort of able to you know be in compliance with that so so some of those changes actually just really force you to you know really get that in place but in terms of i suppose in terms of what to prioritize it's what we what we can do and and what we what we sense customers need most and also i suppose where we sense there to be a, a bit of a lack in the other options available so one of our big focuses in the last in the last couple of years, and and we launched this early this year, was an update to our charitable and ambassadors extension, which is a peer to peer fundraising extension. So peer to peer fundraising in particular is something which is very much dominated by big platforms um, or or hosted platforms where you generally you're going to pay per transaction, like like GoFundMe um, and the like, or. Yeah, yeah, GoFundMe, and you know, like that's I guess a slightly different. Con- like, I mean, nonprofits do use that to an extent, but but there's platforms like Classy, which is a a US based one where sometimes you'll pay a fairly large monthly fee, sometimes or other times you're actually just paying per transaction. Per transaction. Or other times you actually you'll get the as a donor you'll experience this. You go to donate, and then there's the the hey you know ex platform keeps it free for nonprofits would you like to donate an extra five percent to us to keep us going which which i think is which of all those models is the one that i I like the most because i think Mm -hmm. it's the nicest for the nonprofit, obviously but as a donor i think it's it's kind of it's kind of crappy like i i was i was going to do that and then i'm like oh man i'm just like i'm already donating 
And now I feel like I don't really want to donate to these guys or I'm like, I'm going to dial down. Like I'm not going to donate what they're suggesting. And then I feel, <laughs> you know, and so you kind of come away feeling like you're a bit of a cheapskate, even though you're actually just donating. You're like, yeah. you're actually giving your own money. And, um, but you're still kind of coming away with this sort of unsatisfied feeling. So yeah, I, f- I find that one a bit, a bit tricky from a, from a donor point of view, sort of the, the emotional <laughs> side of it. But yeah, so I guess in terms of what we choose to prioritize, it, it's, it varies a lot. At the moment, our focus is really on some major sort of structural changes in terms of how, how charitable works, in, in particular in relation to the, the WordPress block editor, which mm-hmm. is something that was brought in a, a, you know, a couple of years ago or I think the start of last year. Yeah. And, and that's been something that, that I, I've seen a lot of potential for in, in terms of how, how we could use it as in charitable. Yeah. So that, that's really our, our focus at the moment. The only other, the, the other thing I would think of is in terms of our, our payment processors, we, we like to occasionally just do something tr- to try to sort of cover more countries than we normally would and particularly countries that are otherwise pretty underserved as well mm-hmm. so like one of the first ones we did was was one for for south africa which is one of the countries where paypal i believe you cannot create an account a paypal account if you are in if you are in south africa so that was one of the those early options where it was like well you know like this is an easy way to actually provide something for for you know, a big country and a, and a whole lot of people that, that otherwise a market that, you know, almost yeah. just grow into, into that space. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think there's a nice segue talking about sort of customers talk, talking about competitors um, into the, the financial side of things. So how did you price? How did you, I mean, this is a fairly crowded market. I would say if you, when you especially lump in the, the hosted options that do some something similar to what you guys do how did you price yourselves initially and how do you continue to look at look at how you price yourselves moving forward yeah that's a that's a good question and obviously the the pandemic's kind of thrown things as well and changed that and i think not just for us but i think for for our competitors as well so we've seen some of them bring their prices down initially we I think we just we just had sort of a fairly standard kind of per extension price or standard in the sense that that was what other plugins were charging for, you know, similar kind of functionality. Um, not in the donation space, but in but in other, you know, neighboring kind of kind of sectors. We we did experiment for a while with like a pay what you want kind of model. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, which we, we did always have like a minimum price and then a suggested price. And, you know, I, I was really like that idea because I guess one of the challenges that I, I found early on was, you know, I mean, it's one thing to go to a, an organization in, in say, you know, Sydney or Canberra or anywhere in the US and say, you know, like this is $200 or whatever, $200 US. And that, that generally is, is affordable for an organization. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas to go to an organization in India that has, you know, where that, that is actually way, 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 way out of their budget. And so like that, that, that I've always found that a challenge of how to actually make something that's kind of equitable where, you know, it can kind of work across multiple, you know, across the world and also across organizations of different sizes. You know, I mean, you've got a, if you've got an organization 
collecting $50 million a year in donations and another one collecting $5,000 a year in donations, like, is it fair that they pay the same price? <laughs> and what um, they can afford is fundamentally going, going to be different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I've always found that, a, I guess, a challenge and I guess the way other platforms do cut, you know, solve that is by actually doing the, the per transaction kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because you do solve that, but then that works out to be way more expensive. And to be honest, it, it doesn't necessarily cost us that much more support for somebody that that's actually raising that much money. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so we did this, we did this pay what you might want thing for, for quite a while. And, and it was enjoyable. It was interesting, but we eventually dropped it largely because I think it confused people mm-hmm. and in general, like, in the end, 90% of the time people chose the minimum amount anyway. So then it was, I think we ended up just actually setting the, setting a fixed price and it was something like that. And we just, we just make sure that if, if anybody reaches out and says, you know, like that, this is like way beyond us, you know, if they're, if they're, I guess, willing to do that and, you know, get in touch and, and say, you know, like, this is actually a bit outside of our price range, then we generally try to make it try to help out easier for them yeah yeah so so we did so in terms of how we then structured our process that's one thing that we did change after the marketing audit last year as well we we kind of bumped our prices up a bit particularly in, in comparison to our sort of major competitor within wordpress we we generally are 30 to 50 percent cheaper and and so for for some people that that's the decision maker you know, like if it's 30% cheaper and it does effectively the same thing, then, then that Why was not? enough. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and, and for anyone listening, if you're ever sort of weighing it up, I always find, and you, you probably will cringe when I say this as a, sort of the person has to respond to it, but um, asking a few pre-sale questions or just one question and seeing how long that response takes. Um, if mm. it takes five days, I think then I go to the other, other company and sort of ask a similar question and see how long that takes it. It's another way of differentiating if price, um, because price isn't always everything, right? Some things can be Mm. cheap, but you know, it's cheap for a reason where some things are cheap, but it's just that they just chose to price it that way. So for anyone listening, that's, that's another, another tip as to how you can compare them. And and Mm. like you said, Eric, you know, if two plugins do effectively the same thing, then why wouldn't you pick the one that costs less? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, to be honest, we are, there's two of us that work on this full time versus a, a, what I what I think is a team of probably closer to 10 people. And so, you know, like this, our cost as a business is, is just way lower. So for us, it's, it's okay. And we, we know we, we get by just fine doing this and, and we're able to grow. So, you know, it's also kind of looking at just, just what our needs are and how we can, we can still invest into the business and everything and provide the support that we want to provide, but, and still make it affordable to nonprofits. So it's, it's, it's not easy. Um, and certainly now with the, with the pandemic, so we've actually run a 40% off sale for the last, since the start of April, mm-hmm. I believe. And that'll be kind of wrapping up the the end of the end of this month i think which is july but then we're going to have a look at our pricing and you know adjust it based on the fact that basically organizations are under the pump 
financially. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's 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 never it's never that easy. It never there's never really a clear right answer. Um, and sometimes you know potentially you could you could bump the price up more and and make more money. But there's also the flip side that you're excluding certain you know customers, and and that becomes much harder for them. Especially given that I guess you're serving more or less the not-for-profit space, it it starts to become mm. even more of a, you know, there's there's a social sort of purpose, mm. at, at least you know a, a small social purpose, and where you can obviously enable more people. That's always a, a positive thing. Now, for the next few questions, I'm happy to work with rangers if you're not comfortable giving exact numbers. But could you give us an idea of how many customers you you sort of work? well have and 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 how you look at it do you look at it monthly or annually and then um if we can talk about also how you've experienced that sort of is that is that stable um year on year um if we could touch those those points yeah so we don't uh, i mean I i don't focus a great deal on the number of customers we generally look more at the well the raw revenue per month and then also the sort of the number of sales number of sales varies it's generally about somewhere between 60 and 100 per month Mm -hmm. and that the average sale amount varies quite substantially so we get you know sales that are maybe 40 bucks then up ranging up to 700 dollars us that was pre-pandemic because at at the moment that that's down to 450 after the sales but yeah so in terms of revenue that that's we're sort of just around the 10 to 15 mark in terms of in us dollars Mm -hmm. and that but that that varies very much and it's hard to predict to be honest like it's, it's really hard to know whether if we turn this sale off what things will look like then and I guess, especially for you guys, you, you, we talk, touched on this earlier, you're selling stuff annually. So it's not sort of this monthly recurring revenue. It's mm. almost a annually recurring revenue. But 12 months is also a lot of time for people to, one, realize the value, but two, realize that they aren't making use of it, for example, because, mm. you know, they, and part of that might not even be your fault. Like if they spent 450 US dollars, maybe they way overpaid and realized that, you know, if they went on a transaction based hosted system, they actually don't get a lot of uh, donations and it just isn't justified. So I guess it adds that the, the blessing and a curse sort of that you've got to handle there. But then you, it's interesting that you look at it monthly because I guess I mean, 12 months, again, is a long time, so you can't really look at it annually, but and you make sales on a monthly basis. And so you're, I guess, every month trying to make new sales. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, we, we're we less worried about it now than we were, say, two years ago because we've been much more conservative. Basically, early on, we, we kind of, we'd have a, a few weeks of really good sales and then we'd pay ourselves a bit more and then suddenly it would dry up and you'd be like, oh man, we're going to pay ourselves like barely anything this week. Yeah. So we've gotten much smarter about that and much more conservative in terms of how we you know, sort of pay ourselves over time. And so we actually have you know, a reasonable buffer of savings built up. Uh, so if, if we have a low month, which do happen. So at the moment, summer holidays in the US is actually generally a fairly quiet time. I guess there's less agencies kind of building sites for clients. And there's, I guess nobody wants to be doing that. And then December is obviously a, a bit of a December and January tend to be pretty dead as well. 
mm-hmm. after maybe the first week of December up to maybe the second or third week of January, things start picking up again. So yeah, so there's, you know, there's, there's obviously months there where we know it's, it's pretty going to be pretty slow. What we do for the most part is, is we keep track of, of sales obviously each month. And I'll generally try to compare that to the previous, the same month a year before to see how we're tracking in terms of that. And, and that's a much better measure kind of of how we're, we're going in terms of growing. And, and, and that's been encouraging. Like to, and to so you generally found that you sort of can grow or, or, or do you grow year on year? Yeah. Well, certainly since um, we were, we were fairly stagnant leading up to the, this marketing audit that we kind of ran last mm-hmm. year. And so that's sort of really kickstarted us in a, in a much more positive direction. And, and yeah, so since, since then we, we can definitely see there's, there's an uptick in terms of sales year on year that, that things are growing, particularly new sales as well. Um, yeah, that's so that's new, exciting. New customers. Yeah. Do you do you also track your sort of uh, the clients who say started three years ago? Do you track whether they keep renewing? Do you touch base with them if they if they don't? Do you, do you do that sort of thing? I mean, that's much more, I guess, active slash one could call aggressive mm. sort of selling. Do you, do you go to that length, or is it is it fairly passive on on that side of things? No, it's fairly passive. I think we'd need more people. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to do that it's a full-time you know? job right um just yeah, to yeah. track what customers are doing are they you know are they like did they add it to their cart like logged in did they mm. add an extension to the cart why didn't they buy it you know they bought it 12 months ago why haven't they renewed all, all that stuff's a full-time job <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and and i mean be interested in doing that eventually but but for now i think uh, the way things are working is satisfying enough for us and it works well enough for us but yeah but certainly tracking when people are dropping off or or trying to reduce the number of times that people drop off is 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 something that we're focusing on as well and but probably less thinking about in in terms of somebody that's been there for maybe two years and then drops out but more in terms of somebody that actually just installs it and then doesn't sort of keep going with it after, you know, the, you know, the, the just sort of gives it about a 10 minute try and then, and then moves on that. So that, that sort of early impression is, is what we're, we're focusing on, in, on, on improving mostly at the moment. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess when, once somebody has been a customer with us for, for a while, they generally, they, if they're going to leave, it's either because feature wise, they actually just need something different or functionality wise or, potentially they often the person that actually buys the product uh, buys our products is actually the the developer or the designer or the agency that that's working with the nonprofit and and sometimes there's a bit of a you know miscommunication in terms of like who's going to pay this renewal each year and so that that gets a bit hazy so there's a bit of that but in general we we've we retain people pretty well I think, and we're, we're fairly happy with that. And, and I guess once people have been in touch with our support once or twice and know that if they ever do have a problem, there's a solution there. Yeah. And at least there's people that are willing to help out as much as they possibly can. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Have you ever thought about switching to sort of a monthly thing? It's, it's not, it's not the done thing in the, in the WordPress plugin space. It's usually an annual it, it just happens. I think mm. WordPress, like developers just think about annual. I think it makes a lot more sense for developers and agencies, but have you thought about having sort of a monthly option as, as that ever crossed your mind? 
Yeah, it definitely has. It definitely has. Like the the stability of that would is definitely appealing, and also I, I think for it's a bit of a hard comparison sometimes for somebody to say, ah, oh, so this thing is like three hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, but this other thing I'm looking at is only like twenty five dollars a month, and you know, like so, like that comparison, even though basically price wise they're roughly the same, is is actually seems really difficult. I think the thing, the reason why it's it's hard to kind of do it in WordPress as well is that if you charge per month, say, I mean, say maybe we'd go to like $25 a month, the way in terms of what you get when you buy is you get all the downloadable plugins and you can install them and, and you're good to go. But obviously, if you've only paid $25, you could then cancel immediately and you've actually got all those plugins. And because of the license, um, and this is fine, you can actually continue using it as long as you want regardless of whether you maintain that subscription and that's fine that's like that's the way the gpl license works and and we're okay with that but that's one of the challenges and i think one of the reasons why you don't see that so often in wordpress is it's it's a lot of risk on on the on the business side of things on the developer Um, side because you're handing over your code base essentially or your your code uh, or your ip is just handed over and then i guess by annualizing it, you can ask for a lot more upfront and then you can minimize mm. your risk. I mean, you guys still provide a 30 day money back guarantee. So uh, yeah. and a lot of plugins do that where, you know, there's even no free trial. It's just pay up. And if you don't like it within 30 days, that's fine. We'll give you your money back. No questions asked, which takes a bit of getting used to. It's a switch of mindset for the average consumer. But I think developers and agencies are very much used to that sort of model um, where it's not yeah. a, 14 day free trial that converts into X, Y, Z. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. Now, before we wrap up, any mistakes come to mind? Um, you've, you've sort of touched on a few things like the pay, pay what you want sort of pricing structure, but anything else come to mind that you'd avoid next time around? That's a good question. I mean, realistically, there's probably plenty of things. (laughs) (laughs) I'd probably, so the way we first launched charitable, we put it out and I, I built up a whole lot of different extensions that were kind of at various stages of progress. And we probably should have launched with something smaller initially just to get the feedback and, and get that going rather than, than take a really long time investing into a whole lot of stuff, which, you know, some of which is, is, has obviously not really been as useful to people as, as we'd anticipated initially. Yeah. So, so I guess, really just just taking smaller steps i think especially at the start uh, and really working out what people need and so like uh, thinking now to say our redevelopment of our ambassadors extension which we wrapped up earlier this year which i talked about earlier that really was something that was built out of years of customer feedback based on what we had created and so we were able to create something that really nails it for customers mm-hmm. and that actually really does exactly what they need in a much better way and we just we just didn't have the all that knowledge built up so so you know like there's there's actually a lot of value in building up the knowledge of what customers need and what a lot of customers need not just like what one customer need, but actually what a lot of people need and where the overlap is and how you can actually solve that problem for for a lot of people so that's probably the biggest i mean the biggest thing you know, I, I think there's there's not a lot I, I sort of regret about it. Maybe we, if we'd invested more time to marketing, but at the same at the same time, you know, it is what it is, and we're not 
we're not we're not marketers. So. <laughs> That's it. and it's sort of about this is just looking back and sort of thinking, okay, you know, if someone else was saying, Hey, Eric, I'm about to start a plug-in business. What would you recommend? Not necessarily about what you would change, but just about, you know, mm. heads up, you know, this is, this is something that we did and, you know, don't, don't go, don't go for launching the plugin with 10 different extensions that are not all not quite polished, just maybe launch with two extensions that are just like, just function amazingly or, or, you know, maybe just focus on marketing as much or mm. it's, it's sort of about looking back and going, what would we change? Because I think it's just a, it's a learnable and a teachable moment. So it just yeah. helps out the listeners. Awesome. Where can people find out more about you and what you guys do? So you can find me on Twitter at Eric Nicholas. It's E-R-I-C-N-I-C-O-L-A-A-S. That's and that's my handle most of most just about everywhere. But Twitter's probably the only one I, I check occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> but for the rest, wpcharitable.com is where you can find out more about charitable and you can get in touch with us. And if you are a nonprofit or you're working with a nonprofit, then you know, we'd love to hear from you and tell you whether your needs are, are something that we can we can sort of solve for you. Fantastic. Thanks for that. Are you ready for the top twelve? Yeah, sure. Okay, let's get into it. Top three podcasts or books that you recommend. So there's, I've actually got so many books. <laughs> One thing, I, I, this year in particular, I've been trying to read a lot more books by, we're really limiting myself in terms of, I don't want to read just books by white men, which is mm. generally what like I grew up reading. And I suppose that that over the last few years of trying to sort of you know, actually really discover new authors. And it's actually really challenging. Like it, when you sort of start sit down and look at it and you think, oh my gosh, like like that one, that one, that one, like like every this is all very like this is a very white bookshelf. A lot of, we've a lot got of white, here. white guys writing books. Yeah, yeah. And so so I mean like so I've really enjoyed actually this year discovering just some really amazing other authors from other backgrounds, whether African American or Aboriginal writers listening to Archie Roach's memoirs at the moment, which is, which is just fantastic. So, you know, in, in that vein, in terms of books that I've, that I've thoroughly enjoyed and found very powerful, Just Mercy by, I think it's Brian Stevenson, which there was a movie of, of that that came out, I think just a, a, like earlier this year or maybe last year. And that, that's, that's really, really quite powerful. They're really quite, yeah, quite an amazing book. And just discovering some amazing sort of authors as well, like Alice Walker. I just finished reading *The Color Purple*, which was, you know, there was a movie of that, like, you know, thirty years ago. But mm -hmm. I'd never really sort of read the book, and uh, that was uh, really cool as well. Very powerful story, and just some amazing stories. So, in terms of podcasts, I mean, the main ones I really I listen mostly to the the, the New York Times Daily, just to to get my news. So that I at least kind of have a vague idea of what's going on what's in the going room. on in the world. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I love the Planet Money podcast as well. Cool, yeah. awesome, really good, solid recommendations there. Top three software or tools that you can't live without. So there, I would say VS Code, uh, Visual Studio Code, is what I use for development. We use as well. We use Slack for sort of communication, and then, I mean, those would be the two biggest things. And then probably just Gmail, you know, I mean, or email in general, 
and for me that's that's using gmail but but that that's really the three sort of killer things that we need yeah two questions there how do you handle your support what software do you use for support ticketing and do you do you so, recommend them yeah yeah so for that we use we use a company um, or a product called groove groove i think it's groovehq.com which is similar if you know the kind of that that sort of support software space to help scout is another one like that but but we really like groove i think that it's a good product and we we've been uh, that's what we've been using ever since we sort of launched charitable and i've been really happy with it and so yeah definitely check it out yeah um yeah so and do you use anything to analyze your numbers like your your sales churn things like that there's there's a few tools out there that i've seen that sort of generates you know this is your churn rate this this is how you can improve do you use anything like that to really go through your finances or do you just use it do you do any of that like really in depth yeah i i, I use uh, google sheets and <laughs> i i, I, I re- i'm actually a, a real spreadsheet nerd so i actually really like building elaborate spreadsheets so and that is one of my elaborate spreadsheets that i've got that just keeps track of all that yeah, so that's actually the main thing there, and then we use like MYOB for for accounting, yeah. um, so this that side of things. But that doesn't sort of give the insight into the sales as well as as well as my amazing Google. spreadsheet does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's a product there. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe. Top three mantras you try and live by. Anything that you repeat to yourself, or you say to yourself when when the going gets a bit tough. I I don't have like strong like like specific phrases but certainly in terms of how i approach support that's really to go just above and beyond that's probably the the you know the run of words that i that i kind of have in mind there as well and then in terms of how i develop the, the the product is to go generally really deep on something and try to make this you know one thing as perfect as possible and so to really to to I get yeah I just think of it as going deep on one particular issue I suppose and and really solving that in the best possible way yeah and so those those two kind of tie together for me the you know going above and beyond and because often the the development happens in in response to customer need as customer well customer need yeah yeah I mean mm. I think if you keep those two very close and sort of top of mind it's very hard to go wrong when it comes to mm. um, the kind of business that you're in I mean in most businesses to be honest if if you yeah. make sure the customer is happy and you're solving their problems as as well and as mo as as thoroughly as possible I think it's very hard to go wrong there last one top three people you follow or study and why I honestly I I don't really have people i study to to any great extent yeah i i did sort of i have been fairly encouraged and and challenged by the sort of the writing of cal newport um who wrote deep work and he's written a few other things as well and so you know so his his writing has been very was influential on me for for quite a while in terms of how i how i kind of work but mostly really, I mean, I do read a lot. So I try to just, and I try to read broadly and, and just learn from what I can, where I can. So yeah, I, I don't really, I guess I don't have specific people that I always read. Well, I do have specific people that I'm always reading, but that's not 
because of their ideas. It's more because yeah. I really like their writing. Writing, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, it's a little bit different there. But yeah, but there's, but it's, it's really just, you know, try. I, I think I've really learned the value of trying to to learn from lots of different people and lots of different people's perspective, and really. And, you know, I think that's been the most profound thing that I've learned in the last couple of years is that, that there is just, you know, there's a lot to learn that way. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Eric. Um, it's been really interesting, really fun to talk to someone about WordPress and WordPress plugins. This has been the first interview with, with someone who's made their own plugin and run a company that works on with, with the WordPress plugin. So yeah, thanks for your time. It's been really fun. No worries. Thanks, Jermaine. Thank you for listening to the Future Tribe podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast app. 